The red and black horsemen of Revelation chapter 6 generally have been seen as representing war and famine, but I believe they represent something much worse and much more sinister. I believe they are the portent of ritual slaughter and population control as part of Satan's agenda for his false apocalypse, and we'll talk about it on this week's episode of Revelation Unveiled on Faith by Reason. Welcome to Faith by Reason. The website behind it all is faithbyreason.net. There you will find hundreds of hours of study material, blogs, podcasts, and video. And we are continuing our study of the book of Revelation, and we are in Revelation chapter 6. And as I have been talking about for the past few episodes, my take on Revelation chapter 6 is a bit different than the traditional take. I I do not believe that these six seals that are open in Revelation chapter 6 are the beginning of judgments from God. I actually believe they are part of a deception from Satan that Jesus warns us about in Matthew chapter 24. And if you want to take a deeper dive into that and my reasoning behind it, please see the last three or four episodes where I, I really go into pretty pretty vivid detail about why I believe this, as well as giving you the traditional view uh, before diving into my view. And in the last episode, we began by talking about the white horseman. Well, we began by talking about what the horseman might represent in general. And then we went to the first horseman, the rider on the white horse, who represents the Antichrist. And there, that's an area where I'm pretty much in agreement with the traditional view that he represents the Antichrist. As, But again, from my point of view, this is the beginning of Satan's false apocalypse because he, need, he Satan wants to mimic God. He wants to mimic what God does in, in God's character. So since he wants to be a false God, he needs to have his false Messiah, his false Jesus, and the Antichrist is that person. And again, we talked about him last week. So now we're going to move on to the next two horsemen, the rider on the red horse and the rider on the black horse. And let's just start by reading the passages in Revelation chapter 6, starting at verse 3. And I will be reading from the um, Holman Christian Standard Bible for um, a reason that I will be giving you in a few minutes, because I think this actually has some really interesting uh, and accurate translation points that that you might not get in the traditional uh, New King James Version, which is where I usually read from. Okay. So, verse 3, when he opened the second seal, seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its horseman was empowered to take peace from the earth, so that people would slaughter one another, and a large sword was given to him. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a black horse. The horseman on it had a set of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. Okay, and that is pretty much what we're going to cover um, in in, in this uh, episode. Now, before I start breaking down these verses, I just want to set the stage, set the context again, that these four horsemen, the six seals in general, are not judgments from God. I don't believe that. I believe they are uh, part of, of the uh, time that Satan will have full, full reign for the first time in history. And again, I, I talked about that before. I won't, won't go into too much detail about this, but I think it's really important that, that you understand that so that you have the, the context. And one thing I didn't say in the last episode when I talked about the White Rider, the Antichrist, I want to make it clear that God 
will not just let this be sprung on us without any warning. God always wants to warn us. He does not want to see men suffer. God gives us mercy. God's mercy is everlasting. And of course, mercy is the delay between the judgment that you deserve and that judgment actually being meted out. That's God giving you, giving us time to repent. And that's throughout the Bible where God gives men years, decades, centuries to repent for their evil deeds. And then he finally has to judge us. Otherwise, he'd basically be enabling our sin. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants us to repent. So he gives us warnings. And we, we will have will have seen and will continue to see precursors to these horsemen before they actually arrive. Uh, look at the, at the rider on the white horse. As we talked about a little bit last week, you've seen many people be, come across as false Christ who have called themselves Christ coming in his name, saying that you know they're him or, or his representative and being you know, horrible, deceiving people. We talked about the popes. We can look in very recent history. Um, a couple of presidents ago, we had Barack Obama, who was talked about in messianic terms. He, this man was quasi-worshipped. Now, I am not saying that I did believe or have ever believed that Barack Obama was the Antichrist. He's not. I don't even want that to be, I don't want that to be a blip on your radar. I'm not saying that at all. I honestly don't think he was smart enough to be the Antichrist, but that's neither here nor there. The point I'm trying to make is that he was a, a, a figure who was basically worshipped by people who, I guess, weren't conservatives or Republicans. But the man was was practically worshipped, showing that people are ready to accept a messianic political figure. So that was kind of a warning saying, hey, this can this can happen. And I think we've been we've gotten warnings in the past about this rider on the red horse who's going to represent wholesale violence, if not outright war. So I just want you to keep that in mind, that God is going to is always giving us warnings. I, again, I believe that we will talk about the the pale rider in the next episode where when with uh, pestilence and I think that this COVID-19 situation that we're going through right now is God giving us a warning of saying hey there can be global pandemics where millions and millions of people will die and he doesn't want us to go through that so he gives us warnings in advance so but anyway so as, as part of Satan's false apocalypse with his false messiah he is going to offer and the antichrist will accept that which he tempted Jesus with Remember, one of the temptations of Jesus was Satan telling him, hey, if you bow down and work, bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And he had Jesus never said he didn't have that power. Jesus just refused the call. However, the Antichrist will accept it and Satan will give his Antichrist his proxy authority over the world. And we're going to do a detailed examination of the Antichrist in an upcoming post. But for now, suffice it to say that when all is said and done, Satan's man will be seen as the singular figure who saved the world from a quote-unquote apocalypse, this false apocalypse I've been talking about. He will bring the world back from the brink of social, economic, martial, and supernatural disaster. He will claim to be greater than anyone who claimed to be God before him, including Jesus. And he will demand total obeisance and will brook no dissent. In seven years, he will go from being beloved benefactor to the most ruthless dictator in all of history. And again, we're going to really dive deep into them when we get to uh, chapter 13. But again, before all that happens, Satan needs to give the world something to be saved from. The, if the Antichrist is going to be the new savior, then, some, then the world needs to be saved from something. And I think that begins here with this rider on the red horse. So let's break down the verse. So uh, Jesus opens the second seal. So he breaks the seal. And I believe that represents the Holy Spirit sealing or holding back what's what's uh, Satan's machinations. And now that he's now that that seal is broken and the Holy Spirit restrainer is out of the way, you know, it's off and running. And I heard I heard the seven living creature, second living creature or, or the second chariot of him say, 
come. And again, he was not talking to John. He was talking to the horse. He's basically saying, giddy up, get going. You, you're free. You're not restrained. Go for it. Go do your work that Satan's been planning since the beginning. Let's keep in mind that Satan has not been waiting around for the restrainer to be taken out of the way before he begins trying to set up his false empire, his, his false apocalypse, his false Jesus uh, in, in his worldwide rule. He's been trying it from the beginning. It started with Babel. I talked about that last week. And he has been trying every generation to basically completely take over the earth and kick God out. So, but now, now that the Holy Spirit is out of the way, he is off and running. And again, um, I looked in and another horse went out fiery red. So of course I think that represents that, that aggression and we're gonna see what that means. And this horseman was given power to take peace from the earth. Now, this is why the horseman is often called war by most commentators, because we figure the opposite of peace on earth is war on earth. And I, I that's true, and but it's also not holistic. It's not the complete truth. Yes, peace, yes, war is the opposite of peace, but there are other things that are opposite of peace. Their turmoil can be the opposite of peace. There's all kinds of ways you can take peace from the earth that doesn't just include war. Now, I do believe there will be an aspect of war to what happens with the Red Horseman, but I think it's much more visceral, much more sinister, and much more, from Satan's point of view, practical than just war. Because this verse does not say war. It says he will take peace from the earth and that men will kill one another. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it on a battlefield. It simply means that men will kill each other. I think that this points to widespread violence widespread wanton violence by man against man. Again, for a practical satanic reason, which we're going to get to in a few minutes. But let's talk about the, the war part. Yeah, I think this there will be wars happening. Let's look at the scenario. You have the rapture of the, the first rapture, the rapture of the watchful church that occurs. Things are going to be plunged into turmoil. You know, economic markets are going to crash. People are going to be losing their minds. Just horrible things are going to be happening. Chaos in, in the streets. It's going to be a very chaotic state. And I think that um, in hostile nations will use this as an opportunity to launch attacks. To, they will use this unstable period of time to try and take advantage of it to launch attacks. You might have Iran trying to attack Israel if, if contemporary politics stay as they are. You could have Russia trying to invade an area. You could have the U.S. trying to take advantage of it by you know invading other countries. So I believe that this instability will absolutely cause war. And, and, it, and it will be unstable and it will be the res it will result in a ton of bloodshed. But again, this verse simply says that man, not armies, but man will be killing men will be killing other men. Human beings will be killing other human beings. I used uh, Matthew chapter 24 as a as Jesus highlighting these things. And in, and in Matthew 24, Jesus said that in this time, nation will rise against nation and people against people. So nation against nation, we can absolutely see that as as national warfare, but people against people. Um, in, in the Greek, that the word translated is ethnos, is where we get the term ethnic from. So we're, all, we're talking about racial wars, racial violence, and we've seen a ton of that, and we've seen precursors to it. There is the this idea of a race war coming that is actually very satanic in its origin, and, and, and the people who've been predicting it. And one of the people who predicts it, is, it, it um, who's on Satan's side, is a lady by the name of Helena Blavatsky. Who is she? She, along with um, Aleister Crowley, are, were the preeminent Satanists of the last hundred years. And Helena Blavatsky talked in vivid detail about a coming race war, white against black, against Asian, against Latino, just all the races 
to all the different ethnic races fighting against each other. And as an aside, I just want to reemphasize, which I've said many times on Faith by Reason, that racism is the dumbest rationalization you can possibly have. I am 100% against racism in any form because it is frankly stupid. The idea that you are better than someone else simply because of the color of your skin when you fell out of your mother's womb is ridiculous. The only thing you have accomplished by being by having a certain race is being born. I mean, if that's the greatest accomplishment you have in your life is managing not to die when you were as a baby, when you were when your mother squirted you out of her womb, then you have low self-esteem. I mean, good grief. You're not you're not you don't have pride in your intelligence or because racists racists aren't intelligent or you have no or things you've accomplished or things. No, your pride is just simply based on the lowest common denominator, the color of your skin when you manage to be born. If you are a racist, if you think if you think white people are superior and you're white, if you think black people are superior and you're black or whatever, then you're telling me that your greatest accomplishment was managing to be born alive. Congratulations. Big deal. Anyway, it's very satanic. And Helena Blavatsky talked about it a lot in her works. Why is this important? Because, again, she is a preeminent Satanist and Luciferian, Luciferianist, along with Aleister Crowley of the last hundred years. And the major world leaders all revere her. The major world leaders, the new world order, the people, who, the elites of the world who run the world, who own the banking institutions and the media and the people who really control things. And I've talked about them before. They are, by and large, Satanists. They are Luciferians. They are not Christians. There are no Christians running the world. There are no Christians in the house of Rothschild or the, you know, or, or the dominant bloodlines that, uh, that again, uh, uh, dominate, his, um, dominate the worlds of finance and politics and media. They're, though the Rockefellers are not Christians, the Rothschilds, like I said, are not Christians, the DuPonts, the... The Astors, the Bundys, the Medicis, you can think of all the great families that control trillions of dollars and all the organizations, all the CEOs who control massive fortunes. They're not Christians. They are at best anti-Christian secularists or at worst outright Satanists. And they revere Elena Blavatsky and they are trying to bring about her works because they believe, and I agree with them, she was connected to the spiritual world, the negative, the uh, evil spiritual world, and a race world was a big part of it. And they want to foment that. And, and we've seen these things starting to come to pass with, you know, a lot of the racially most motivated police shootings and the racially motivated riots that always followed them. There is a ton of racial tension that has just been escalating, especially in recent times. And so I, I believe that's another sign that we're closer and closer to the end. But when this happens, nation will rise against nation and ethnos, ethnos, ethnic people uh, races against other races. And as I said a few minutes ago, we've seen precursors to this. We've, we've seen God's warning about it. You look at some of the violent acts that, that we've seen that are, I believe are going to escalate. Look at things like school shootings. I mean, don't those terrify you if you have children? I have two young boys. I am frightened to death when I see some lunatic going into schools and shooting. Sometimes there could be students at the school doing the shootings. I'm afraid, you know, it makes you afraid to send your kids to school. And then you have random shooters that just will go into a mall or a movie theater or a church and just start shooting folks. That That is terrifying. And it happens, you know, occasionally, you know, a few, a couple of times a year, which is bad enough. But when this red horse is unleashed, it's going to be happening a lot more. And just imagine how frightening it's going to be. People will be afraid to leave their homes for work or play or necessities lest they become victims of mass shootings, bombings, bludgeonings, or other uh, sadistic mayhem. And much of it will be done in the name of religion. I'm going to talk about the religious aspect of it in a minute, 
but you already have a, a, a group of people who, let's go well, call them what they are, Islamists. Not all, not all Muslims, but some of the radical Islamists who slaughter people, who literally butcher people in the name of Allah. And by the way, I believe there really is an Allah. I believe he exists. I do not believe he's God, obviously, unlike one of our former presidents, George W. Bush, who said that Allah of Islam is the same as the God of the Bible, like Jehovah. They are not the same, not even remotely. Actually, I believe Allah is just a Middle Eastern territorial demon God. In fact, he might actually be the Prince of Persia mentioned in uh, Daniel chapter 10. But they are they slaughter people in the name of their demon God. And you're going to see a lot more of that happening. And, and you know, 9-11 was obviously something that's etched in our memories and will be there forever. You're going to see more of that. And it's going to cause chaos and panic that we will need to be saved from. And, and Satan's Antichrist will, will come across as giving the solution, even though Satan is the cause. So he's the cause of the problem and the solution of it to it. But chaos is what Satan has in Satanists and world leaders and these the new world order folk, the elites, the, the who, who run the world, they have a saying called order of chaos. I'm sorry, order of chaos. It means order out of chaos. They're going to bring about chaos and make life so miserable and, and frighten people so much that we will give away our freedoms so that we can have safety. And we're going to give away our freedoms to a totalitarian system. And as you can see from what's been happening recently, that's not too far afield. You can easily imagine how it could happen. COVID-19, a disease which, while terrible, I don't want to, um, I, I, I don't want to, to, to minimize it, but it's, basically, it's three times worse than the flu. So it's basically the, the seasonal flu on steroids. The number of people killed are, again, three times more than will be killed during the regular flu, which is bad. But is it really worth giving up all the freedoms and allowing Congress to just uh, pass all of these ridiculous bills that, that are, again, curtailing our freedom even more? I think not. 9-11, while terrible, killed about 3,000 people. Again, 3,000 innocent lives which were, who were gone and that's bad. But was that enough for us to basically give up all of our privacy rights? So every time there's chaos, Satan and his minions who run the world and run our country take this as an opportunity to grab more power, to consolidate more power, to basically continue their stranglehold and rule the world. And the Red Horseman is just going to be that type of violence on a massively exponential scale. So if we're willing to give away our freedoms when 3,000 people die on 9-11 and several hundred million died during COVID-19, can you imagine what freedoms we'll be willing to give away when we feel unsafe even leaving our home, yeah, it's going to, again, give Satan the power that he's been looking for. But all, all politics aside, there's something even worse, even much more sinister on a spiritual level with the Red Horseman. Because I, I read the, the Holman Standard Version for a reason. In your version of the Bible, um, in most versions, it says that the Red Horseman has the uh, has the power to take away peace and cause men to kill one another. But in the Holman Standard Version, they accurately translate that word kill as slaughter. And you might say, okay, big deal. What's the difference? Kill, slaughter, they're the same thing. You know, one's a little more graphic than the other. No, 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 no. It's more than that. That word that was translated into slaughter is the Greek word svatso. What does svatso mean? Svatso does mean slaughter, but it's a specific type of slaughter. It is specifically the slaughter of an animal as a ritual sacrifice, a ritual blood sacrifice. That was, that's what svatso means. So what that verse says is it will give uh, men will svatso one another. Men will ritually sacrifice one another. Let me say that again. 
what it is saying here that he will take peace from the earth and men will ritually sacrifice, spotso one another. That is something way worse and way sinister and way more intentional than just wanton killing for the sake of killing. It's not just random violence. They are doing this as part of a ritual slaughter. What does that mean? Why does Satan want to do this? It all comes down to the spilling of blood. And I'm going to get a little spiritual, a little creepy here, so bear with me. But I think the Bible, I actually know the Bible backs me up on this. There is something about the spilling of blood that has a strong spiritual result, a, a strong spiritual effect. Now, I've done a, quite a bit of research into um, uh, satanic rituals because I'm just kind of into those sort of things. And you might not be, which is fine. You're probably more well-adjusted than me. But even if you have not done a lot of study on uh, satanic rituals, you probably know enough about them to know that they always involve blood. There's always bloodshed, especially innocent blood. It's very macabre. Don't get me wrong. It's, it, it's, it's nothing pleasant, but it always involves blood. Why? Is it just because Satan is grotesque and wants blood? Well, yeah, partially, but there's a practical reason behind the spilling of blood. Blood, it seems to me from reading the Bible and, and reading about um, and studying the satanic rituals, Blood seems, when it hits the ground especially, it seems to allow access, it opens a gateway or a portal, if you, if you will, into the spiritual realm. It allows beings from the spiritual realm to come to the physical realm and vice versa. So every time these Satanists do their rituals, they're doing it to summon a demonic entity into our world and they do it with bloodshed because there's something about blood, especially innocent blood, that thins the barrier, thins the wall between our physical existence and the supernatural spiritual existence and allows transfer, allows access from one to the other. And we see this in the Bible where God has laws all through Leviticus um, admonishing people not to let innocent blood fall on the ground. Something about when the blood hits the earth, something happens and it, 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 it thins the walls. Remember, our life is in the blood. The Bible says that. The, our life is in the blood. Blood contains life. And it's not just our physical life, but our spiritual life as well. Again, I can't tell you the exact physical, the metaphysical mechanics behind it. Nevertheless, the Bible says this very clearly. That is why um, uh, you know, God in the Old Testament, in the Levitical laws, he told people to to, you know, to make sacrifices um, of you know, just spill the blood and sprinkle the blood on the altar. Why? Is it because God is grotesque and macabre and likes blood? No, it has nothing to do with that. It's what blood represents. The And I talk about this in the, the series on the law. You can go back and read the blogs and the podcasts on that. When God has asked for animal sacrifice, what he's doing is giving them a, basically a dress rehearsal for what Jesus is going to do. Jesus will spill his blood onto the ground and it will have that same effect. And, and so that's what the blood is. It's not because God just likes the smell of blood. Of course not. It's, it's representing what innocent blood will do. And what it does, it, it again, it breaks down the walls between our two worlds and allows access. And that's what the blood of Jesus is all about. Jesus talks about his blood a lot. I mean, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about his blood. You have to, he says, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. It sounds kind of grotesque. We don't think about it because we have this image of Jesus as this really nice, sweet, big old human teddy bear who would never say anything bad. So when he talks about his blood all the time, we kind of kind of gloss over it. But Jesus, but it was intentional. Jesus talks about his blood being our salvation, our source of life. 
Why is Jesus' blood our source of life? Because, as I said, the most valuable blood is innocent blood. Jesus was the most innocent human being when he was obviously incarnated as a man who ever walked the earth because he never sinned. So what happened when Jesus was crucified and his physical blood hit the ground? Well, the same thing that happens when any innocent blood hits the ground. It thins the wall. It allows access between the physical world and the spiritual world. But Jesus did it for us. The shedding of Jesus' blood <clears throat> broke down the barrier between earth and heaven for believers. Jesus' blood, you could almost say, opened a portal or a gateway for human beings to enter into the realm of God. It couldn't happen without that because blood opens that gateway and Jesus' blood opened the gateway for Christians to access the spiritual realm. And that's a good thing. But on the other hand, when in one of these satanic rituals, when there is a slaughter, when there is a sfatso, when there is a satanic ritual that involves blood, it allows evil spirits, unclean spirits, demons and fallen angels to manifest on the earth. What does that mean? Why is that important for the Red Horseman? Well, you're going to have a massive amount of, in, of blood being spilled, and it's going to be a svatso. It's going to be part of a satanic ritual. So you're going to have these Satanists doing their rituals while innocent blood, I mean, you know, relatively innocent blood. I mean, we're human beings, we're faulty, but our blood in, in our blood is nowhere near Jesus's quality, but it's still innocent because mostly people I'm going to imagine didn't deserve to die. When their blood spills, when this spot so happens, when these men are killing other men, when they're spot sewing each other, it's going to be a massive amount of bloodshed, unlike anything that's ever been seen in the in the history of the world. So you're going to have a massive case of these gateways being open, of the access between the spiritual realm and the physical realm being open, and you're going to have demonic entities coming through into our world. So keep in mind the big picture. Satan is taking over the world. He's having his false apocalypse in order for him to finally have his world, his new world order that you've been hearing about since the day, you know, since way before the days of George Bush. He's the first one who mentioned it publicly. But this has been the, the goal of the elite Satanists who run the world for a long time is to have this control. And Satan is going to be in control. And how does he maintain his control? By getting all of his minions into our plane of existence, into our physical world. And this Fatso is going to do that. So it's not just wanton killing. It's not just war. It's a, it's, it's a, a ritual, massive ritual sacrifice of blood being shed, allowing these demonic entities, these fallen angels, these unclean spirits to come in to our world. And we, folks, we are not ready for it. We are not ready for the supernatural. We are going to, it's going to be even more chaotic. If you think the idea of, of random killings increasing is going to make us go nuts, imagine when you have all the demonic influence coming through. And that's what this is about. This is a spotso. This is a ritual sacrifice. That's what the Red Horseman is. It's not just war. It's not just random shootings. This is an intentional ritual sacrifice for the intent purpose of allowing hordes of unclean spirits, demonic entities, and and fallen angels to go from their realm into our physical realm and it's going to be something like we've never I can't I can't even imagine what it's going to be like but I can just tell you it's going to be pretty doggone terrible okay we're nearing the end of the bottom of the hour I'm obviously going to go over because I need to get to the black horse but and I will go over this as quickly as I can so um when he opens the the, the next seal the third seal you have the rider on the black horse um, come forward 
and you hear a voice from the midst of the middle of the uh, of the uh, the four the four living creatures, the four cherubim, and they. And so who's this voice, by the way? I, it's not from the living creatures that say, you know, the um, a measure of wheat for a quarter of wheat for denarius, three quarters of barley for denarius. The voice comes from among or or the middle of the four living creatures, the cherubim. Who's that voice? Well, this may not be important, but I don't think there's anything in the Bible that's not significant. So I want to spend just a moment, you know, just looking at who this might be, because I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what, what that voice is. Our possibilities are it could be God, because, you know, God, God's throne is he's between the cherubim. That's in the Bible. It talks about that. It could be the voice of God. But uh, I don't think so, because, you know, why would he's right there on the throne? Why wouldn't John just say it was the voice of, of the one on the throne? Could be Jesus because you know Jesus is kind of in the midst of the cherubim because he has access to the throne. Yeah, but again, he, what, John could just directly say it's from the Lamb, but he doesn't. Could be the voice of the Holy Spirit because the, the Holy Spirit is all around the throne. He is, you know, he's, he's the, the seven spirits of God are all around the throne, so it could be his voice. But I'm going to give you a, another possibility. I think it's the voice, or it could be the voice of Satan. Why? Because as we talked about in, in our look at Revelation chapter 4, the four cherubim, there's one missing. There's cherubim that represent all of creation, one that represents man with the face of a man, there's one that with the face of a lion that represents carnivores, one that looks like an ox that represents land or animals and herbivores, and there's one that looks like an eagle representing birds. The one that's missing is a, you know, cold-blooded, scaly creatures, reptiles, and fish. And, and I believe that was Satan, the Lucifer, who, because he was a, he was a cherub, he was called the anointed cherub in Isaiah and Ezekiel. So he's missing, but he still has access to heaven. If we look at Job, you know, the Satan, Hasatan, comes and he and he uh, basically makes that, that kind of wager with God over Job's soul. Now, there are people who, who don't believe that that's actually Satan. And I actually, I think I'm one of them. The more I read that uh, passage in Job, the more convinced I am that that creature called Hasatan, the Satan, isn't actually the Dragon, the the serpent from Eden, the one entity we call Satan. I believe it was just actually an, an angelic being that has the role of being the accuser. Nevertheless, we do know that Satan has access to heaven because we're told in the Bible, especially in Revelation chapter twelve, that he accuses the saints before God day and night, before he's overthrown, before he is kicked out of heaven. Again, Revelation chapter twelve. We'll get to that. And that hasn't happened yet. So up until this time, he has access to heaven. So it could be his voice. Why? Because he's the one who's setting the price of the wheat and the barley. Well, let me back up and get back to what the black horse, um, his his characteristics that are really important here. So he has um, a set of scales in his hand, a set of balances. Now, in that time, what those balances meant was how you would weigh food versus money. You would put a certain amount of gold or silver on one side of the scale and you put the, whatever you were going to buy on the other side and you have to balance out and that would be the price of it. So this is economics. The The rider on the black horse is always called famine, but that's not what this is. This is not famine. Famine is scarcity. Famine is when you just run out of food and you're starving because there's no food. Like, you know, if you have Know, really a, a, a drought and there's you know there's no rain that, that falls for years and the crops dry up that's a famine there's no food or if there's a disease that affects livestock and all the cows and chickens and pigs die well that's a famine of scarcity there's just there's no food all the animals are dead this is not a famine of scarcity this is economics this is a man-made quote-unquote famine this is scarcity by man or more or more um more accurately, this is inflation. Because if you have to work 
an entire day for one measure of wheat, which is one meal, high quality meal, or or work an entire day just for three uh, measures or three servings of a low quality meal for just one person, never not to mention the family. This is a state of starvation that is caused by inflation. Inflation is when your money isn't worth what it used to be. So the reason that these people can't afford food, the reason that one serve one quality serving is, is an entire day's wage or, or three um, um, low quality servings is because your money doesn't buy as much as it used to. This is inflation and inflation is man-made. Inflation occurs when you have too much money chasing too many goods. Now, back if you have if you have a money that is backed by a, a a stable good like gold, which is what money should be. In fact, in our constitution here in the United States, our money is supposed to be backed by gold. It's not since the Nixon administration, actually since the Federal Reserve in the early two, uh, 20th century, um, messed that up with with a, with a fiat, a fake currency, and then Nixon completely. Uh, you know, completed it by taking us off the gold standard. Our current money, our current finances, are backed by nothing. That dollar in your pocket is only worth what someone's willing to give it, give you for it. It has no intrinsic value. It's just a piece of paper. It doesn't represent anything. Before the Nixon administration, or even before the Federal Reserve, your money was backed by gold. Your your one your one dollar was worth one dollar in gold. You could you could legally go to a bank and say, hey, here's this paper money. I give me a gold coin. They'd have to do it because it was a one-to-one -one exchange. Once we went off the gold standard, once we were with the Federal Reserve System where they just basically printed money out of nothing, it's not backed by anything. It doesn't mean anything. And inflation is when there's so much money out there that it's, you know, it's supply and demand. There's a high supply of money and the, and, the, and the goods are low. So you have a higher demand for goods than you have then, then for the money, the money becomes less and less valuable. And we see that all the time when we look at how things are adjusted for inflation. Like, you know, when, when I was growing up, I remember you could get, you know, gas for less than a dollar. You know, gas, I remember when I was growing up, gas cost about 50 cents. I'm aging myself, but yeah, it, was, it cost about 50 cents for a gallon of gas. Now, as of yesterday, when I filled up my tank, gas is $4 for a gallon. Now, has gas gotten, has something changed about the gas? No, gas is the same as it was when I was a kid and it would cost 50 cents. The only thing that's changed is the value of our money. Inflation causes the prices to go up. And it, it can get to the point where money becomes so uh, inflated that it's almost worthless. I can tell you a quick story. When uh, Saddam Hussein was in power you know, before the Iraq war, he printed money with his face on it and you know, <laughs> because he was kind of an egomaniac. And um, I, when the Iraq War happened, you know, the American troops went in and they, you know, raided a bunch of places. And some of the places they raided were had a ton of money that could be banks or things like that. I had a friend who was in the Iraq War, and he told me that you know several of the soldiers when they went into areas that had a lot of cash, they would just you know it was they would take the cash. They would just you know they would they would take it and and he brought some of it home. He brought they brought thousands of dollars of that money with Saddam Hussein's face on it back home. And he gave me one. He gave me a a um, a fifty dollar bill with Saddam Hussein's face on it as a souvenir. And I still have it. I'm actually looking at it right now. It's in my desk. Here's the thing. If I go to a store to buy something that costs 50 American dollars, and I say, okay, here, here, um, can you give it to me for this? And I give them the Saddam Hussein dollar, a $50 bill. They're not going to take it. Why? Because it doesn't. it's not worth anything. Now, before the Iraq war, I could go to Iraq with that $50 bill and buy something worth $50 because it was worth something. But once... 
um, Iraq was overthrown and, and Saddam was taken out of power, that money became worthless. And so it's only our money is only worth what someone's willing to give you for it. And no one was willing to give me a $50 worth of product for this uh, irrelevant Saddam Hussein money. And this is going to happen with our economy when the black horsemen rise. And this can easily be accomplished through, again, through inflation. Inflation is controlled by the Federal Reserve. When they, when they want inflation to go down, they raise interest rates. When they want inflation to go up, they lower interest rates. Right now, as we are in our country here in early 2021, inflation is high because the interest rate is at zero. And that's and it's going to keep getting worse because our current administration just passed this huge bill that's giving people, quote unquote, free money. There's no such thing as free money. There's no such thing as free anything. Someone always pays. But they're pumping all this fake money back into the economy. And all that's going to do is cause inflation to grow because it's going to make our money more and more worthless. That's why things keep getting more and more expensive. But again, my, my point is that this can all be controlled. Someone can sign a piece of paper or just make a decision. And suddenly our money goes from being worth of, you know, a certain amount to being worth almost nothing. This is intentional. People, someone who can make a decision tomorrow and, and put us in a situation where it will take an entire day's wage just to feed yourself three meals a day. That is what will be happening with the black horsemen. It is not famine due to scarcity. How do we know that? Because with the wheat and barley, people are, are, are eating for, uh, as meals. It also says in that same verse, don't hurt the oil or the wine. Oil and wine are luxury items luxury items of the rich if there was true scarcity no one would care about oil and wine i mean you know olive oil is, is nice i like using myself when i cook wine is nice i i'm i'm a big wine fan i i, I love wine I'm a, I'm a bit of a wine connoisseur i would say but if i'm starving to death i don't care about olive oil and wine i want food i, I need meat i need protein and, and carbohydrates I, I need regular food if there's real scarcity, no one's going to care about the oil or wine. But so the fact that oil and wine are available means that food is not scarce. It simply means that you can't afford it anymore. And again, that can be easily accomplished. Someone can can just make a decision. Uh, the bankers can make a decision tomorrow and suddenly our money will be so worthless that we will be in this situation with the black horsemen. It's not hard to imagine. And this is what's going to be happening. And it's going to cause massive, massive starvation because people will not be able to afford to eat. People will be starving, they'll be dying by, by the millions, by the hundreds of millions, possibly by the billions. Okay, so how does this fit in with Satan's false apocalypse? Why does Satan want this? It's not just because he, hate human, he hates human beings and wants us to die, he does. He absolutely despises us and he wants nothing more than our destruction, which is why it's so tragically funny that these powerful men and women follow him, who these Luciferians, these uh, Satanists follow Satan and he, he, they make him their God and their God, Satan, hates them. It's, it's sad and ridiculous. But again, that's not why he's doing it. He's doing it because he, wa he wants people to die because of population control. Population control is a huge part of the satanic agenda for his new world order, for his kingdom. And this is not something that a fringe this is not a fringe thing it's not a conspiracy theory theory thing this is easily researched all you have to do is just go to google and type in population control and as part of type in population control and globalism population control is one of the foundational tenets of 
every one of these plans that are already in place and are already being discussed at the highest levels to rule the world, to have this new world order. We need to, to reduce the population. There is a, a monument, a man-made monument that's called the Georgia Guidestones. It's a very interesting story behind it, and I'm not going to go into it because I'm really out of time. But apparently this monument was uh, financed and constructed by and, and constructed uh, by this man who called himself R.C. Christian. That's a pseudonym. And he paid this company to make these these stones. I have a picture of it on the uh, on the screen right now. They call it the American Stonehenge. And it just appeared out of nowhere. It's in the middle of a field in Georgia, just like this regular Stonehenge in England is in, out in the middle of a field. And it talks about uh, ways to to um, make the world a better place. And one and the top uh, part of that stone, the, the the first tenet says to reduce the population of the planet to five hundred million. Folks, the planet is currently we're, we're hovering at about seven to eight billion people right now. That would mean basically the death of of around seven billion people to get to this point. The Georgia Guidestones are part of are, are basically the the enunciation of this plan the globalists want population control and i remember when i was a kid growing up there was all these books there was a book called the population bomb there are just all these books out there all these uh, think tanks talking about it uh, the satanists want a low population they want to destroy and kill a bunch of us why because you know we're destroying the environment Folks, that's what environmentalism is all about. That's what global warming or climate change, as they're calling it now, that's what it's all about. It's really about just killing a bunch of people. It's really about reducing the population so that there are fewer people in the world uh, consuming fewer resources. That This is how Satan is going to try to make his world better than the, the world that God created. It's how Satan's going to make his fake Eden. And because Satan does not have the same supernatural powers God does, obviously he does not, he can't create anything, but he also knows that the fewer people there are, the more Edenic the world will be and the more, and the easier it will be to govern. The, as if you've had, you know, if you've ever worked at a company where you had to manage people, you know that the fewer people you have to manage, the easier it is. If you have, if you are over a department of a hundred people, hard to manage a hundred different people, a hundred different personalities, a hundred different conflicts happening. It's easier to manage 50 people. It's easier to manage 20, easier to manage five, easier to manage two. Remember, Satan is not all powerful. He will not be able to manage people the way God could, who, who is all powerful. So what's the best way for Satan to effectively manage humanity is if there are as few people as possible to manage. Population control is a huge tenet of Satan's global desire. And I believe that these two horsemen are going to result. I mean, the, the the red horseman is more about bringing the um, the demonic entities into our world. But there's going to be you know millions of people killed there, and then the black horseman is all about population control, and that's really what this is all about. This is about Satan bringing in his false empire. And as I said, population control is a huge part of it. You will find it in all walks of life, not just from the Satanists. You hear about it in universities. You know, when I went to college. I heard my professors talking about population control. Abortion industry, in addition to just being you know, grotesque and inhumane, is also about population control. It's another way to control the population. The starvation, the, the, the famines that you will see in places like Africa and India, they're managed. There's enough food to feed all these people easily, but it's withheld from them in order to kill them, to kill the undesirables. 
there is all types of, of population control measures out there. And when this black horseman rides, Satan will have his ultimate population control effect in place. All right. Um, I am way over time, so I'll start wrapping this up. So here's where we are so far. The rapture occurs. Satan's plan, Satan is released to finally get his plans going. He starts his Antichrist on his conquest journey. He's going to start as a smaller level, low-level politician and start working his way up. As he's doing that, the Red Horseman rides. There is man killing man. There's this demonic slaughter happening in order to bring demonic entities into our world. It's going to scare the mess out of people. It's going to result in a massive loss of life, chaos. People are going to be crying out for order. And the Antichrist is going to start positioning, positioning himself as a person to bring that order. Then as that is happening, you're going to have an economic crash unlike anything we've ever seen. Our money is going to become virtually worthless. People are going to die of starvation. And again, it's going to add to the chaos. And the Antichrist is going to keep elevating himself and saying, I have the solution. Follow me. And that's where we're going to end this. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about the fourth horseman. Actually, we're going to spend the entire episode on this fourth horseman because there is something happening here that is massively missed by folks who just think that this is a, about a disease. Now, granted, a disease is part of it, and, and it's still more population control stuff. But the most important part of what's happening with this fourth horseman on the pale horse, who who's called Death, and has uh, Death and has um, Hades following with him, is the part that is given the least amount of attention when people commentate on Revelation, and that is the beasts of the earth. And it says that he will. He's going. This rider on the on the the pale horse, the fourth rider, will kill a quarter of the earth. Again, more population control and economic. Well, you know, again, if the black horseman is economic control and population control, the pale horseman is all population control, and he will do it by pestilence, by famine, and by the beasts of the earth. And the beasts of the earth are not cows and chickens and goats and llamas going crazy and and, and smacking people around and killing them. No. The beast of the earth is something more sinister, far more supernatural than you could ever imagine. It's going to be the return of the days of Noah. And if you know what I've said about the days of Noah, then you have an idea of where I'm going with this. It is going to be the beasts of the earth are not animals. Let me say that again. The beasts of the earth are not animals. They are entities that we haven't seen since the days of Noah. They're going to be back and they are going to cause terror like you have never could possibly could never possibly imagine and we're going to spend time talking about them i'm going to break down what what i think believe they are and i'll give you lots of detail on it as usual so that's why the entire episode will be on that horseman so um that's it uh, thank you for listening and watching i appreciate it uh, please subscribe to this youtube channel by hitting the subscribe button and the notification bell please also subscribe on faithbyreason.net please give me your comments i appreciate it um if you have any idea, like for, for some of the questions that I asked about, you know, for example, who, who you think the voice in the midst of the cherubim is, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Because honestly, I don't know. I'm just really guessing at that one. If you have any thoughts on um, what Spotso is or what um, or the economics behind the Black Horseman, you know, let me know about that too. We can talk about it, ask questions. And I will talk to you next week when we talk about the fourth rider, the rider on the pale horse of death and the beasts of the earth. Talk to you next week.